church does things differently with regards to Mother's Day and Father's Day. Um, as you get to know me, you will find that two of the most important people in my life are my kids. Uh, I'll do anything for them. And on a day where we celebrate fathers, I also recognize there was a time in our lives where Father's Day was not the day that I wanted to come to church because we suffered through many years of infertility and we're not able to have kids. And so I recognize that there are some people who come to church on, on Father's Day dreading this part of the service. And then there are also the others who have lost their fathers and come with a different, completely different emotion. Today, I just want us to think about the the opportunity that we have as men of the church to witness into the lives of, of all the young people, whether they are our children or the children of others. And so what I'm going to invite you to do this morning is if you are a man or a future man of the church, if you are, are male, if you would stand this morning as we have an opportunity to pray together as God calls us to lead his church. And so I would invite you to, if you would please stand with me. And allow me to pray for you. Most gracious God, we are so thankful for the opportunity that you've given us in, in having children in the life of our church. And I pray for each man who is standing or is, or is present today. Maybe they're not able to stand, but Lord, each man that is in this room today. And I pray, Lord, that you can help us to, to take on the leadership. To, to invest in the lives of, of the young people. I pray, Lord, that we can look at each Sunday when we walk in this door that it's another marble, that's another opportunity for us to, to invest in them. And so, God, we just pray for your spirit to, to guide us in our steps, give us your wisdom, and help us to, to understand the responsibility that you call us to. And in doing so, we give you all the praise and the glory for everything that you're going to do and every child that you're going to raise up in this place. It's in Jesus' name that we come together and we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all have a seat. Thank you. Today we are going to start a, a series that, that I would like to call Agape Love. Um, it's a day where we gather, we celebrate the earthly fathers so I thought it would be a perfect opportunity for to push us to stop and think about the love of our Heavenly Father what does that look like um, what are some components of his love and then even to further push us to stop and go what are the implications that gives to us as followers of Jesus how do we actually live that out in our lives uh, one of the passages that I want us to start thinking about this morning is a passage that comes to us in first John chapter 4 uh, Verse, chapter 4, verse 8, look at what this says. It says, whoever does not know love does not know God, because God is love. Now think about that passage for just a moment. Whoever does not know love does not know God, because God is love. It's a very bold statement to, to make, and, and I will tell you, it's, it's one that, that guides me in my faith and guides me in my understanding of God. When things happen, when I read scripture that doesn't quite make sense to me, when things happen in the world that I don't quite understand, I come back to this foundational truth, which is God is love. And so I think it's important for us as followers of Jesus to know or think about what does it mean to have the love of God in our heart and how to live that out. 
And so that's what I want us to explore over the next three weeks, three different aspects of God's love. Now, I also want to get to know you as well, so I'm going to ask you a couple of questions today. It's okay if that makes you a little nervous, but how many of you have siblings? They, they, they live, they may not be living anymore, but how many of you have siblings? So if you're not raising hand, I would assume that that means that you are an only child. All right, so how many of you are the first child in your family? So that would be the first child, or if you're an only child, then you would raise your hand. All right, so you're, you're the only, so y'all, y'all were born out of love, right? I mean, your parents loved each other, and so that's how you consider yourself. You were born out, how many of you are the second children? All right, you're the play toy for the first child, right? So you were the, the parents had a child, they needed something for that child to do, so they had another child so that you would have something to do with it. How about any of the third or the fourth or the fifth? We're the ones who've been forgotten. Um, so I was the third child. I have an older brother, older sister. There's no pictures of me whatsoever. Um, my parents, you know, they had baby albums of the first child. They had baby albums of the second one. And me, I, I'm lucky to find a picture at all of, of myself. But I'm the baby. How many of you are the babies in the family? Yeah, we're spoiled in an entirely different way, right? So that's, so, and, and it really doesn't make a difference where we fit within that spectrum and where we fall within the, the number of kids that, that, that we had in our, in our families of origin. But Families are just that, supposed to be that network of, of love and support and encouragement. But that's not everybody's experience. You will come to find out that one of the ways that I preach is the way that I look at it is I'm, I have a relationship with God. And so I feel like the preaching moment is an opportunity for me to share with you my relationship with God and let you come in to that intimate conversation. And so I often share stories from my life. My, my wife hates it sometimes because she says that I, I make myself look stupid, but that is because I am stupid many times. But, but I'll share one with you today. It's a very personal story because it, it, it doesn't define who I am, but it certainly uh, shapes who I am. Um, I went to the University of Georgia, and while I was at the university, yeah, we can always applaud that. Um, but when, while I was at the University of Georgia, um, a lot of things happened to me. And one of those was I began to have a, um, a series of flashbacks to my childhood. I did not remember a lot from my childhood. Um, and so while I was in college, I began to have a series of flashbacks and, and began to seek counseling for those flashbacks because I understood that something significant had happened to me that I did not uh, remember. And it was through that counseling that I came to realize that uh, over a period of time, from the age of six to the time of age of 11, that I was repeatedly molested as a child. And so I had to deal with that. And I will tell you that when I came to that realization as a sophomore in college, um, this is maybe not be the part that you want to hear from your pastor on his very first Sunday, but I hated the person who did that to me. I did not know love. I did not know God. I hated that person. I wanted that person to suffer. I wanted that person to have some serious consequences. But it was also at this time at the University of Georgia that I met a young woman named Claire. And Claire was a person of faith. Claire was a person of peace. And I saw something in her that, that I wanted, and I didn't know what that was, and so I began to explore what this whole relationship with Jesus Christ was all about. I began to explore what did it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, um, began to understand that there are implications 
for being a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we began to, to get involved in our church. And, and as a young couple, we, we went to Bible studies. And there was a Bible study where uh, one of the ladies was leading a, a passage of Scripture. And it was a passage of Scripture that literally blindsided me as a follower of Jesus. Listen to what it says. This is going to be in Matthew 6, verses 14 through 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When I read that verse, I had a sense of panic come over me because I had no forgiveness in my heart. I didn't want to forgive. How do you forgive somebody who does something to a six-year-old? How do you forgive somebody who walks into a bar and shoots 49 innocent people? How do you forgive people who do the unimaginable? But you see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're not called just simply to receive the agape love of God. We are called to show the agape love of God. We are called to live that out. And so I want us to look at several stories in the Bible this morning that, that, that kind of have, again, strong implications for us. In Luke 23, we, we read this dramatic story of forgiveness that comes from Jesus. Jesus is on the cross, hanging on the cross between two criminals. Now, you have to remember the context of what happens is Jesus is innocent. Jesus has never sinned, and Jesus is going through excruciating pain on the cross. And when you read these words in Luke 23, verse 32, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him, him being Jesus. Two other men, both criminals, were being led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right and the other on his left. Now we read a passage like that and we, we sometimes don't stop and think about the context. I'm a big, I love to read the Bible and love to, to think about how things were working, why people were doing what they were doing, what, why the author wrote it the way that the author wrote it. And sometimes I stop and think about culture, how much it influences our understanding. When Jesus is on the cross, what we often think about is we think about the cross like we see it on TV, see it on the movies. We see it way up high like it is in the sanctuary. And so we think of that as being how Jesus is on the cross. But really, when you look at how they did crucifixion in Jesus' day, the cross would have been maybe a little bit higher than this based on where the ground is. So Jesus would have been hanging there in excruciating pain. That's how we get the word excruciating from crucifixion. Um, it was expensive to do a crucifixion so they only did it for the very worst of the worst people and so you had this the, the Roman government took great pride in the fact that they were um, very good at torturing you and so they made sure that the the crucifixion lasted as long as it possibly could they make sure that you were in as much pain as you could possibly be in and so Jesus is standing there just a few feet from the very people who were walking past him. Remember, they did the public executions in public so that people would walk by. They would see the people being executed and go, that's not what I want for my life. So I don't want to cross the Roman government because that's what's going to happen to me. And so they would be out there in the public streets, and so people would be walking past him. So just a few feet from them, they would be walking past him, and the Bible says they were mocking him and that they were spitting on him. Now I want you to think about this. As they mocked him, they were looking at Jesus face to face. As they spit on him, they were literally spitting on his face, spitting on his chest. 
And Jesus, hanging there in the most excruciating pain, looking at them face to face, looking at the worst moment of creation, somebody doing something so unimaginable to him, he says this in Luke 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus was asking forgiveness for the sins against him at that moment in the do, people doing the most unimaginable thing to him and Jesus is asking his God, his father, to forgive them. The truth is if we live long enough, somebody's going to harm us. Somebody's going to do something against you. You're going to have somebody who is a Christian who is not acting very Christ-like. If you live in the church long enough, you know that the church is going to harm you, right? There's going to be people who are going to gossip about you. There's going to be people who are going to say something that, that they shouldn't say. If you live long enough, you're going to have a boss who's going to treat you unfairly. You're going to have somebody who, who lies against you. If you live long enough, you're going to have somebody who's going to make up stories all over town about you. If you live long enough, you're going to have somebody who's going to do harm to you. Maybe it is a mother. Maybe it is a father. Maybe it is a friend that's going to betray you. And the truth is, sometimes it's ourselves. Sometimes we do things that we can't live with. We do things to hurt someone else. And we may know that God has forgiven us, but we have trouble forgiving ourselves. So the question for me becomes, once you begin to realize that's a reality of life, the question becomes, how do we forgive like Jesus? How do you forgive like Jesus? That's the heart of the gospel. Jesus came to forgive our sins, absolutely, but he also came and that we become like him and that we begin to show the love of God. Because that's what people outside the church that's what the Bible says. That's how they're going to know that we're followers of him is by the way that we love each other, by the way that we love the community around us. So I want to give you two simple thoughts. They're not necessarily easy thoughts, but they're simple. The first, Jesus teaches us that we're to pray for those who hurt us. That's the first thing to think about. Pray for those who hurt you. That's what Jesus is doing on the cross. He's praying for those who are hurting him. In Luke 6, 28, this is what Jesus teaches us. Look at what it says in Luke 6, verse 28. It says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Now, some people say, well, I'll, I'll pray for them. Uh, I, and, and, I, and I get that. That was the mentality that I had when I became to this realization. I'll pray for them. I will pray that they get the justice that they deserve. I will pray that this happens to them. I will pray that they suffer as much as maybe I have suffered. But what Jesus teaches us throughout the Gospels, Jesus teaches us things that are, that are shocking to us. And I want to show you a passage that, that Jesus teaches on this. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, if you look at this in Matthew 5, it's a passage that many people have heard before. But look at what it says in Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard it was said, love your neighbor, and, but hate your enemy. You have heard that was said. In other words, this is what everybody has taught you. Throughout your life, this is what they have taught you to do. Is to, to love your neighbor but hate your enemy. But then Jesus changes it. Jesus says, but, in verse 44, he says this. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
Folks, when Jesus would have taught this to the people, this would have been shocking to them. It would have been complete silence. You could have heard a pin drop when he was teaching it because this was completely countercultural to them. The Romans, they, 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 they worshipped a God who was very a revengeful, vengeful God. They would, they would have said, if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. If you do anything to me, I'm going to hurt you back. And the reality is, most of us can understand that philosophy. One of the things that's kind of scary when you go into a new church is my old church, they kind of have accepted my flaws. They know a little bit about me, and they've kind of tolerated, I, I, I don't know, they just, they do. So I'm, I'm, hopeful, I'm hopeful that y'all will as well. And so let me tell you one of my flaws. I've got a lot of them. But one of my flaws is my driving skills. So if I'm sitting at an interstate, and I don't, I mean, at an intersection, I don't know about y'all, but if I'm sitting at an intersection at a red light, and it turns green, and you are behind me, and in 1.2 seconds you start blowing your horn, as if that 1.2 seconds was not a very good reaction time on me to start, here's what I do, and I know I shouldn't do it. I don't, it's no hand gestures, anything like that, so it's, it's clean, but what I do is I smile in my mirror and I drive so slow <laughs> to irritate them. Um, and then my other one is if I'm driving down the interstate, or any of you, do any of you drive 18-wheelers? Do I have any? Okay, thank goodness. Because here's what, if, if I'm driving down the interstate and an 18-wheeler comes up and cuts me off, because they can, if they cut me off, what I do is I will speed around them, and I will get behind them, I mean get in front of them, and then I slow down just to irritate them. And I'm in a Kia Soul. I am taking on an 18-wheeler in a Kia Soul because it's just, it drives me absolutely nuts. So I get this mentality of, if you come after me, I'm going to come after you. But Jesus tells us that we have to, reach, we have to be different than that. See, that's our, that's our nature. That's, that, that's how we work. That's how we operate. We can all laugh about it. But the reality is Jesus says, you've got to be different. You've got to love your enemy. You've got to pray for those people who persecute you. And that's an easy passage of Scripture for Christians to dismiss until you have an enemy. Until you have somebody who does something against you. Until you have somebody who harms your child. Until you have somebody who, who, who comes after you. you got to love your enemy. And I can love my enemy. I can say that that's a great thing to do until I have an enemy. Here's what I want you to see this morning. If you have been devastated by someone in your life, if you're sitting here this morning, it doesn't make a difference what age we are. Many of us hold on to bitterness and resentment and, and unforgiveness no matter who we are and what age we are. If you sit here this morning and that's you, the first place we have to start is we have to pray for the people who have harmed us. We have to pray for them. Now, why did Jesus teach that? And there could be a lot of reasons that we might look at that and say, okay, this may be why Jesus taught it. But from my own experience, I think the reason that Jesus taught it was to help us with our attitude because right attitude will lead us to a right action. And so it starts with our attitude that we have. Trust me, if you sit here this morning and you tell me, because I have people all the time, if I talk about my testimony, people will come up and go, well, I'm just not ready to forgive. If you're waiting to be ready to forgive, you will never move to forgiveness. If you're waiting till you're in the mood to forgive somebody, you will never be in the mood. And so I would invite you this morning to, to begin to simply pray. I will tell you that when I had this realization and when the scripture really spoke to my heart, what I began to do was to pray for the man who molested me. 
And at first, yes, being honest, I just prayed that God would get him. Um, I, I prayed that God would do something to him. And then I began to continue to pray. And then somewhere along the way, my prayers began, God, just do something. And I kept praying. And then my prayers began to change. It was no longer God, just do something. It was God, do something significant. And then it was no longer just, I continued to pray. It was no longer God, just do something significant. It was God actually working his life. And then it was God blessing. God eternally make a difference in him. Let me tell you something. When you begin to pray for those who hurt you, here's the one thing that I can absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, tell you will happen. You'll be changed. Your prayers may never change the person who harmed you. Your prayers may never be able to get that person to change. But your prayers will change you. Will change you in your heart. The second thing I would tell you is not only are we to pray for the people who persecute us, but we are to forgive as we have been forgiven. Look at what it says in Colossians 3, verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, I'll admit that I began reading this passage and writing on this sermon in Cartersville, but I think it still applies in in Stockbridge that we are called to forgive as we have been forgiven. I don't know. I'm doing good to know anybody's name, so I certainly don't know your stories. I don't know how many lies you've told. I don't know how many times you've gossiped. I don't know how many people you've hurt. I don't know how many times you've had an affair. I don't know how many times you've stolen something. I don't know anything about it. I know myself. And I know that God has forgiven me a lot. And I know that God calls me to forgive a lot. And with the help of God, he will empower you to do something that you cannot do on your own. That's why you can't wait until you feel like you want to forgive or that you feel like you're in the mood. The Spirit of God comes into your heart and begins to move and change in you and through you. See, our fleshly nature will never be able to do it. You'll never have the power to be able to forgive, but the power of God is inside of you and gives you the ability to forgive. And if you do that, you know what may happen? If you sit here this morning, marriages can change because you choose to forgive. Relationships with your children that you're struggling with, they may be restored because you choose to forgive. The relationship you have with a parent, a sibling, may grow and begin to change because you choose to forgive. I invite you this morning to actually live out what the gospel says. Forgive as you have been forgiven. It's a choice that we make. There's a great quote by Anne Lamott, an author, that says this, Bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. You just make a choice. You say by faith, with the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to choose to forget. I'm going to let go of the pain and the unforgiveness that's in my heart. The way that God let go of my sins. I don't do that because the person who hurt me is good. I do it because Jesus is good. And one day I'm going to be in heaven not because I'm good, but because Jesus is good. We choose to forgive. 
But let me tell you something. The day, that was the hardest day of my life to ever do that. But let me tell you what happened. That day changed my life. The song where it talks about a prisoner set free. I was set free of all of the pain, all of the anger, all of the bitterness that weighed me down. And I invite you this morning, if you have unresolved feelings, unresolved resentment, uh, unresolved bitterness, that's the option that we have today as followers of Jesus Christ is to say we're going to let go of that. And we experience true grace and true mercy. The only reason I'm able to stand stand to you today as a minister of God is because I let go and allow God to work forgiveness in my heart. I don't know today what offense you're carrying around. But if you sit here this morning and you tell me you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we are called to a higher standard. We are called to to a principle. The world is going to teach you to hate. The world is going to teach you that you've got to hold on to a grudge. The world is going to teach you you've got to go after somebody. But Jesus says, no, as followers of Jesus, we do it different. We pray for the people who hurt us. We forgive as we've been forgiven. And so I invite you this morning, if you're holding on to a grudge, if you're holding on to bitterness or anger or, unresentment, I mean, or, or unforgiveness in your heart, to let it go. You don't have to figure out what you're going to do tomorrow. Today you just say, okay, God, I'm going to live as a follower of Jesus. Choose to forgive. I invite you this morning to bow your heads, close your eyes. And again, being new, I don't know what you've done in the past, but I, I, I want to I invite you this morning. There is something powerful, very powerful, in claiming who we are as, as followers, where, where we make our mistakes. And so I invite you this morning, if you, it, with every eye closed and every head bowed, I'm just going to invite you this morning. If you, if you sit here today and you say, you know what, I am holding on to something. Somebody did hurt me 50 years ago, five years ago, five minutes ago. I'm going to invite you just to raise your hand. That's all you have to do is to raise your hand to acknowledge that to God. That that's me. That's my story. And I don't know what I'm going to do at this point in time, but all I'm going to do is acknowledge it to God. Thank you. And then pray with me. Most gracious God, we give you the praise and the glory. We give you the praise and the glory because your grace is greater than any of our sin. Lord, I pray for each person who raised their hand today. I know how hard that is. But I also know what a life-changing statement that can be. And pray, Lord, I pray that your spirit can just pour onto them a feeling of, of mercy and love. And I pray for each person that is in this room. Help us to go forward into the community and to live as witnesses for you. To pray for those who hurt us, and to forgive as we have been forgiven. Help us to actually be your disciples. We give you all the praise and all the glory. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.